relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. What is it uh, Churchill said? If you've got enemies, that's a good thing because it means that you've stood for something in your life. Welcome back, dear friends. This is America First with me, your host, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Trump and host of America First on the Salem Radio Network. But more exciting than that is America First one-on-one, our new platform where we get to talk to our friends, newsmakers, experts uh, for a whole hour, drill down on a big issue, check out the new podcast, look for America First one-on-one, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, spread the word, and just sit down with your favorite warm beverage or adult beverage. Today, we are delighted to have back with us somebody who has a very interesting bio uh, on Twitter. One quote from somebody I like called Dan Wooten is, uh, he's a quote-unquote superstar. The other one's from some organization of crazies called the Race Trust, calls him a house N-word. I prefer what Dan calls him. He's just a truth-teller extraordinaire. Calvin Robinson, welcome back to America First One-on-One. Sebastian, it's so good to be here again. Thank you for the invitation. So I don't know. We did an interview with you a while ago. I mean, I think it was last year. We did a fabulous long-form interview just as YouTube cancelled us and terminated our account um, because, well, fascism is is the reason. Um, And you told this amazing story about yourself, your background, um, the, the state of bigotry in the UK. For those who um, didn't catch the radio broadcast of that last time, people who've just found us today, please, in just a few minutes, tell us where you hail from and how did you get to be from a a, a school teacher in North London, now a man of the media? (laughs) I don't know myself, but I'll I'll (laughs) give it a go. Um, I used to work in education, as you mentioned. I was a school teacher. I became a deputy head teacher. And... All throughout that time in education, I was blogging. I was writing about what I was seeing and, and owning it, putting my name to it, because there have been so many people over the years that have been, you know, secret teacher and those kind of columnists that have put things out there. But you can never quite tell if it's purely anecdotal or if it's actually going on because they didn't use their name. So I thought, I'm going to own it. I'm going to put my name to it. And I, what I saw all around me was left-wing indoctrination of our young people. And it sickened me because before being a teacher, I worked in industry. You know, I worked in technology, website design and development, mobile app design and development. And in an office, I could be sat next to a Lib Dem, a a, a Labour voter from the left, a Conservative voter from the right. And we'd all get on and we'd all go for drinks at the end of Friday. You know, we'd have that cheeky Friday beverage. Um, And that was great. But going into teaching, I realized that there's, there's a massive echo chamber here of groupthink mentality and it's dangerous because it's being pushed onto our kids and parents aren't necessarily aware of what's going on so i started blogging about it what i was seeing and 
one of my local press um, newspapers picked up on one of my stories and said, do you still believe that this is going on? And I was like, believe it. I see it every day. <laughs> yes, I do. And they, so they published a piece. And off the back of that, uh, a lot of our mainstream uh, broadcast, uh, it's not broadcast, uh, newspapers picked up on it, the broadsheets and the tabloids picked up on it. And then after that, they started coming to me for opinions and started coming to me, you know, about education issues. And this is during lockdown, the first lockdown. So we closed our schools. We denied kids of education in this country. It was ridiculous. It's one of the greatest evils we've ever done uh, because the social divide is widening in this country. We've got, you know, the wealthy were managed, they managed to educate their kids because they've got computers and broadband internet access. But the, the less well off, the disadvantaged did not manage to do the same because you might have a single parent who's working from home on the only computer in the house, the three kids don't have access to any devices, whole host of reasons. But we've, we've seen people get left behind because of lockdown. But anyway, this happened over lockdown while I was still teaching. So I continue to talk about it, continue to write about it. And more and more people started asking me uh, to voice my opinion because I was, I'm not the lone conservative voice in education, but there are very few that speak out because they're afraid. Because if you do speak out as a conservative in education, you get stigmatized because they are so left-leaning that they kind of have this sense of moral superiority because they only speak with people that think like them. They assume that they're right and everyone else is wrong. And that's such a dangerous mentality because not only do they think that conservatives are wrong, they think we're bad, they think we're evil. And they're pushing that on the kids. You know, in the classroom, I'd hear kids saying, oh, Donald Trump, and this is in the United Kingdom, kids would be saying, oh, Donald Trump, he's a bad guy, he's a racist. He's a, and I'd be like, wait, stop there, stop right there. You're, you're entitled to your opinions. You can you can think whatever you like about him, but back it up. Tell me, why is Donald Trump a racist? Uh, 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 and that's what you'd hear from the kids because all they know is what the adults are telling them. And it's so dangerous for their young minds. But but Calvin, I, I have to jump straight in here, especially because of you know the, the N-word label that is uh, at the top of your Twitter feed and follow this man, Calvin Robinson, right now. You will not regret it. Watch him, GB News. Listen to him on the UK's talk radio where my good buddy, Mike Graham, has a great show. Um, you're not white, so it's no. not just a, being conservative that's the problem. It's you're the wrong skin color as well to be a conservative. So let's talk about this uh, allegation that uh, post-imperial nations like the UK or superpowers like America are inherently racist. And therefore, you are a double, doubly a sinner, Calvin, because one of your parents wasn't white and you're a conservative. I know it's outrageous, isn't it? We're all sinners, though, at the end of the day. And this is what these people forget because they replace original sin, don't they? These yes. identity politics peddlers with their critical race theory, looking at the world through a racial lens. They see racism everywhere because they're looking for it everywhere. Now, I grew up in. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I don't interrupt you. Okay, carry, okay, on, okay. carry on. I grew up in the Midlands, Sebastian. And I, I know you know it. Um, it was a very predominantly white area where I grew up. And I was one of. Well, my family were the first black family in the town. So I know what racism is like. I've experienced it firsthand, real, true racism. You know, people putting uh, fireworks through our letterbox, um, stealing our washing off the line, spitting us, spitting at us in the street. I know what racism is, um, which is why I say I'm not a victim of, of oppression or, or racism in my day-to-day -day life. As an adult in this country, I have equal opportunities. And we're not a meritocracy, but we're working towards it. But what disturbs me is when I see people saying, that's racist, that's racist, they're racist. I'm like... Well, clearly, 
that's not you don't know what racism is if you think everything is racist and and this is the problem we've become so good we've made so much progress that people are looking for problems where they don't exist and because i'm standing up on the right or center right whatever you want to call it of politics um small c conservatism believing in democracy rule of law tolerance of people of all different faiths and non um pre-standard things you know the state should be small and non-interventionist and leave me to get on with my business as a free man in a free country that to me is pretty straightforward common sense stuff but because i'm brown they assume that i have to be left-leaning and to me that's the that's the racism that's the real racism this idea that because of the color of my skin they can determine who i vote for what how i talk how i style my hair all of these things they they have a say on every aspect of my life and it's like do you not look at yourselves and think, you know, why are you telling, why are you dictating to me that how I should act, how I should talk, who I should vote for based on a happenstance of birth? I didn't choose to be brown. I wouldn't choose to be brown, white or anything. I don't care about the color of my skin. It doesn't affect me other than, you know, in my, I've spoken about different instances where I've experienced racism, but anyone can experience racism. And that's the wider problem that I want to keep. I want to keep yelling from the rooftops because I worked in inner city schools in the capital of this great nation where actually most white people are in a minority, which yeah. is quite strange because it's different to the rest of the country. And I've seen young white kids get bullied because of the color of their skin. I've seen them held back because of the color of their skin. I've seen them treated differently, not just by the kids, but by the teachers because of the color of their skin. So I know firsthand that anyone can be the victim of racism and anyone can perpetrate racism. But the left will say, no, 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 no. Only white people can be racist. And therefore, Calvin, you are a house N-word. You're a race traitor. You're a coconut, a bounty. You're you know, brown on the outside, white on the inside, which, again, tells me that they're the true racists because black, brown, white, these are skin colors. They're not personality traits. How, how can you be white on the inside? What does it mean to be white to these people? It, to them, it means success. It means getting by in life. It means not being a victim. It means not having excuses to rely on because that's what it means to many of these people on the left to be colored, to be brown, to be uh, an ethnic minority. To them, it's an excuse quite often. If they haven't achieved the success they've wanted in life, they can say, the system's against us because we're a minority. You know, everything's racist. Everyone's racist. That's why I'm not where I want to be. And quite often, it's actually, no, you haven't got your head down in your books. You haven't worked hard enough and you haven't stuck your neck above the parapet. And if you did in this like I say, it's not quite meritocratic society, but it's, you know, we have equal opportunities under the law. If you work hard enough, you can become anything you want to be. And that goes to, for anyone, no matter what skin color they are. And sadly, uh, that um, ideology of victimhood uh, actually perpetuates that, that push against meritocracy means that those who are told that you are victims can very likely stay victims because they are given that worldview and so you perpetuate a deadly cycle instead of focusing on what is possible. We're talking to Calvin Robinson who I'm delighted to now call a broadcaster a fellow broadcaster. I kind of lucked into it myself and I love being on this side of the microphone. Follow him at Calvin Robinson. So much more to discuss. I got such a long list of things I want to talk to with Calvin. Okay, so let's uh, let's, uh, let's stick on the other uh, big ones as much as we can uh, calvin give us a very quick update because i see it as the beginning of this rise of of, of healthy populism uh, the trump phenomena whether it's uh, the, the, uh, the the brexit phenomena what is the state of the anti-elite movement in the uk we see in australia these mind-numbing videos of people getting arrested for saying the wrong thing about covid on twitter uh, unbelievable given the history of australia and the rugged individual 
socialism. Uh, are things healthy on your side uh, of the Atlantic? Uh, is Are you seeing uh, the movement that brought us Brexit uh, growing into a broader populism? I wish, I wish. Um, there's something happening, but it's bubbling underneath the surface at the moment. What's happening is that people are getting tired of these authoritarian regimes with their draconian rules, you know, taking away people's civil liberties, telling people not only when they're allowed to leave their house, but who they're allowed in their own home. You know, we've always said in this country, an Englishman's home is his castle. And that should be the case, but it's no longer. But people are getting tired of it. And they're starting to go out on freedom marches and expressing their concern, but it's not being covered by the mainstream media who are complicit in this. And we're moving away from the, the anti-lockdown protests now into the anti-vaccine passport protests, which I think are the ultimate in removing our civil liberties because it's dividing society into the clean versus the unclean, so to speak. Even though anyone could spread this dreaded virus, whether you're vaccinated or not, it doesn't make a difference. So it doesn't make sense to have a passport of uh, vaccine status. And we, we've lost our sense of, you know, privacy was a British value, a Western value. And we've lost our sense of privacy at this point, too. We're, we're hearing people say, have you been vaccinated? And it's like, I got asked that on air the other day. I'm like, well, it's none of your business. I don't understand. I wouldn't ask you if you've been, you know, for an STD test lately or if you've, you know, had a certain certain medical procedure. Why do you think it's OK to ask me if I've received the COVID vaccine? It's because we've become so obsessed with COVID. And obviously, you mentioned what's happening in New Zealand and Australia. They've gone to almost totalitarian at the moment you know new zealand locked down after one covid case australia they're arresting people for silent protests for goodness sake you're not even allowed to protest silently against these horrible measures and what we're seeing over here is in scotland the government want to keep the emergency covid powers and broaden their range so they'll no longer be used just for covid they want to have these measures permanently so they can lock down people for any reason they can close schools for any reason and they can let people out of prison early for any reason these are all very very scary uh, prospects and it's this is the problem though isn't it you know once you give a government power they don't want to let it go and people keep saying but it's for the greater good but that's how tyranny always creeps in the thin end of the wedge for the greater good and we we have to stand up and say no. And I think the dividing line right now is the vaccine possible. Whether you take the vaccine or not, that's up to you. That's your personal choice, or it should be. But the coercion that's happening in our society, in well, the whole of the West, as we're seeing it right now, and I include Australia and New Zealand in the West, along with America and Great Britain. But what we're seeing is people are being coerced into taking a medical, medical procedure because they won't be able to access certain parts of normal everyday life unless they do. And that's wrong. That's abhorrent. And I, I saw today on Twitter, actually, um, a church in San Francisco, uh, Grace Cathedral, is saying that only the vaccinated can attend their services. I'm like, for goodness sake, you are literally turning away people from church. This is what well, is the definition of evil. It's you know denying people access to God. It's saying that you cannot receive the most blessed sacrament. You cannot become you cannot experience that closeness with Christ unless you meet these medical conditions. Who? That, no one has the right to say that or do that. I guess, I, I guess lepers now don't get to go to heaven. I guess, Thank uh, you. yeah, sick people don't, you know, the, the good Samaritan, you know, sorry, you don't get uh, any assistance. But let's talk about the, the most evil aspect of this all. And you mentioned uh, the kids earlier and you mentioned the masks. I want to put something on the screen and I'll read it to our, our radio list as well. This is from an amazing guy called Phil Kirp and it's, it's hard to read, but, but I'll, I'll tell you the figures here. These are all the deaths in America in the last 18 months. And I just want to talk about one category. It's the second 
second category, and it's those who are children 5 uh, to 18. Sorry, 5 to... Uh, five years old to 14. In the last 18 months, that age cohort saw a total number of 9,145 deaths. 9,000 in America. Of those, 133 were with COVID, which means 1.5%. Calvin, uh, let's go back uh, to this issue of masks. We are masking kids in America in those locales run by the Democrats, and the government, the federal government, wants to mandate it everywhere. We are putting kids in masks for eight hours a day when the mortality rate from COVID is 1.5%. Isn't this the most evil aspect of what we've gone through in the last year and a half? It's entirely wicked because, of course, these children are removing the masks and moving them around, therefore rendering them ineffective because they're touching them. You're not supposed to do that. We know that. We know they're supposed to be single use. But a lot of the science, and we we talk a lot about the science these days as if it's definitive, but a lot of the science suggests that actually these masks are comfort blankets. They don't do anything to prevent the spread of the virus. And if they do, it's minuscule in effect. And what it has is an adverse effect on their mental health. So it's detrimental to young people. But we're seeing worse than the mask across the board especially over here we're seeing a push to vaccinate 12 year olds and up and now now if we consider the stats that you just showed us but the wider stats suggest also that young people are not susceptible to risk of this virus not not for severe illness and not for death of course there will be um, rare instances where that happens but on the whole children do well uh, with this virus and their natural immunity is better than the vaccine therefore surely We should leave young people alone. If they catch it, they catch it. If they don't, they don't. But if they do catch it, they'll build up a natural immunity, which is stronger than the um, poor efficacy of the vaccine, which is proving to be less than we thought it would be. Uh, People are talking about third shots already. But the fact that we're talking about vaccinating children, and I ask a lot of doctors, now that that I've switched from the commentator to broadcaster mode, I get to ask these professors and these doctors, and I say, why? Why should we vaccinate children? And they say logistical reasons. They say things like, so schools don't have to close down again or to protect the elderly and the vulnerable. Like, surely we should not give people a medical procedure unless it protects them. We should not use children as a shield to protect adults. That is wicked. That's abhorrent and it's evil. Yeah, this, this, I think I heard somebody else also in the UK make this point, and maybe they got it from, from you. And, and this is, I mean, this is the truly philosophical heart of the matter. It is wrong to impinge upon the freedoms of the healthy, especially children, to protect those who aren't healthy. Medicine has always said you help those who are in need. The idea that a quarantine for the first time in the history since the Hippocratic Oath was invented is used to quarantine the healthy is insanity. You protect those who are vulnerable and not those who are healthy. And we know you as a a former teacher, the face-to-face relationship, the the, the seeing of the the face is one of the crucial aspects of the development of children of babies, of toddlers, of people who are in junior school, in high school. It is how human beings relate to each other. We're talking to Calvin uh, Tom Robinson. He's now a broadcaster. Catch him on GB News in the UK, also at our friends Talk Radio. Uh, Calvin, um, let's, let's talk about your former profession. Uh, we have <laughs> a glorious side in America, thanks to, I think, COVID, with parents finally seeing what their children were being taught with all these at-home video lectures. 
But we're also getting glimpses into the political indoctrination that is still happening in schools. And I want to play a little clip from a teacher talking in his class to his students. Play cuts. I'm about to come out to all my students. So I have a quick announcement for everybody. Can everybody look up from their phones? My class is important, please. Hello, I'm waiting. You guys look at me. So I usually go by Mr. Johnson, but I would like to be called Zoa now. My name is Zoa and I'm non-binary. So you can call me Mr. Zoa. You can call me Miss Zoa. You can call me Mix Zoa. That's M-X period. And I go by all pronouns. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, that's it. Oh, thank you. If you guys, if anybody has any questions, you can ask me at the end of class. Uh, they're proud of him. They're squealing. He puts the uh, resistance fist up at the end of the video. Your reaction as somebody who's taught to what you heard him say, and then your reaction to the student's reaction about him saying, I'm non-binary and you can call me XYZ. First of all, I can tell that this chap is a poor teacher because he's begging for their attention. Please look at me, please, children. Sorry, they are children in your class. If you ask for their attention, they should give it to you. And if they're not, that means you've been a poor teacher. Correct. Bad behavior for learning right there. But also what he's telling them, it's perverted. Why is it of their interest how he sees himself in his sex or his gender or whatever you want to call it? It's irrelevant to what he's supposed to be doing there. He's supposed to be imparting knowledge. I don't know what he teaches, what subject he teaches, but for him to be pausing a lesson, disrupting their learning to talk about his own personal issues, his own personal mental health issues is irrelevant and it's wrong. Um, I don't know what non-binary means because there are two sexes. Um, so does that mean that he doesn't subscribe to one of them or both of them? I don't get that. It's a nonsense to me. But if he needs mental health support he should get it outside of work and not push that on the children and he certainly shouldn't push his personal politics onto the children and for those for those students to be celebrating i mean bless them they, they, they're very polite and very well-meaning but they shouldn't have to deal with this issue so let's go back to your experience and this is something that i think gives me hope i i i, I taught at college level for many years i didn't do what you do that's a real job teaching in you know in in, in the junior schools or, or primary schools or secondary schools um you said that when kids told you trump's a racist and then you say can you back that up there's a kind of stutter there's an um and the ah and if I have an impression, maybe this is just being Pollyannish or, or you know, being an optimist, that, that indoctrination has been going on for decades, but it's a very shallow indoctrination. It's a denial of truth, objectivity and beauty, but there's no depth to it. Is, is that your experience? And does that mean that we can counter it with truth and beauty? Absolutely. And that is how we win, countering it with truth and beauty, universal truth, getting rid of this idea that everyone has their own my truth. I don't understand that. Everyone has an opinion, sure, but you don't all have access to your own individual truths. There is a truth out there. And the purpose of education is to explore knowledge, explore understanding and find the truth. Uh, and the indoctrination that I've seen has been superficial. It's been very... You know, so we know that 70% of teachers vote for left-leaning parties. That's in America and the UK. In fact, more so in academia than in, edu in school education. But 
what they do is is the way they have the conversations. So around Brexit, for example, I heard teachers talking to young people saying, I know it's awful, isn't it? It's a terrible situation that we're in. And that's expressing their anxiety and pushing it onto children. And around Donald Trump getting elected in America or Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, I heard similar conversations around, oh, you know, they're not for, they don't they don't care about the NHS, the National Health Service over here, or oh, they don't care so much about they're not compassionate, they're not supportive of people. And it's kind of this it's a low level indoctrination that is very emotive and not based in any fact or evidence finding. It's all very kind of, this is what I feel. I'm a good person. So anyone who isn't like me is not a good person. Donald Trump, Boris Johnson are not good people. And we do counter that with with truth and, and beauty. And I think that's what's missing in our education system. So if you look at the lessons, I looked at the most popular, in fact, I did a poll first. I did a poll in this country and found out, are teachers still using textbooks? The majority said, no, they're not. They're downloading resources off the internet, which of course is the first big warning sign, isn't <laughs> right. it? That we're not using fact-based books anymore. We're just downloading stuff off the internet. So I looked at the most popular teaching resource websites in this country that teachers are downloading the resources from, and the majority of them were infested with identity politics. So even if the teachers aren't left-wing, even if the teachers aren't, purposefully indoctrinating or accidentally indoctrinating kids the resources that they're getting to teach their lessons are full of the stuff so this is you're right that we fight back with truth and first and foremost we need to fix the teacher training programs so we let teachers know it's not appropriate to pass on your uh, personal or political views onto kids but then we fix the resources that they're using and make sure schools have textbooks again so that parents can pick up a textbook and see exactly what their child is being taught and parents you need to know you need to know galvin um, there is a reason we are witnessing the insanity of critical race theory, the aggressive transgender agenda that denies biology, the, the COVID mask mandates, the vaccine mandates. It's because th this is a secular religion. When you, when, you, when you deny the existence of God and the transcendental, as a French philosopher once said, you leave a God-shaped hole in the soul of a human being. And you have to fill it with something. That's the green movement. That's Extinction Rebellion and everything else. I know you're a man of faith, uh, and, and I think that is the, the long-term answer. There's a reason that this is a uh, civilization based on transcendental values. Talk to us about the experience in the UK, uh, how weak is the church, and how much is Christianity and the faith basis of our civilization the answer to get back to where we need to be, irrespective of skin color, social, economic background, or what have you? You're bang on the money here with this problem of, of lack of faith. And I just want to touch on what you mentioned again about truth and beauty, because beauty has also been left behind. And yes. I think this, this is almost by design. So across both of our nations, we used to admire beauty because beauty points our gaze towards God. And that's what that's the whole point of beauty. And I think it's purposeful or it's by design that we've moved away from that. So take architecture as a prime example. Everything that's built now is full of steel and glass. And it's it's monstrous. It doesn't inspire you. And in fact, all it does is make you think, what, what were they thinking when they built this? And that is because everything now, people are trying to be creative. And, and to be creative, you have to be destructive because you can't build any, nothing is new in this world. So rather than thinking, how do we create the most beautiful building that inspires people? We think, we think, how do we create something that hasn't been done before? And that's how we move away from God into secular nonsense. And we see it with everything. So in this country in particular, the healthcare system, 
is placed on a pedestal. And during the first lockdown, we all went out. I say we all, I didn't go out. But many people went out on their doorsteps to clap for the NHS, for the, for the National Health Service. And this was like, a, it's a ritual. And it's, it's the, you know, our politicians don't criticize the NHS. They don't say anything negative towards it because it's become this, this cult of the health service. And it's, we were locked down in order to protect the NHS, it, whereas the health service surely should be protecting us as individuals. And you're right that all of this stems from, and identity politics too, stems from a lack of faith because people that believe in critical race theory believe in it so adamantly that they, they can't even assess whether, you know, the people that call me a house N-word, for example, they can't see that they're the hypocrisy in their ways. They can't see that they are the ones being the racist, even though they call themselves anti-racist, because they believe in it so blindly. It is a faith structure to them. And they can't edge away from it because it would destroy everything. You know, you take out one pin and everything falls down. And that's what critical race theory and identity politics believes in because it's intersectionality it's a whole pyramid of beliefs are based on gender based on race based on every immutable characteristic they can think of and it, it essentially pits people against each other on purpose this this ugliness this lack of beauty this lack of truth is by design it's marxism it's cultural marxism and this is why they always go for the family first and foremost this is why they always start with our young people with our children and the indoctrination that's happening in schools is not by accident so talk to us about what's happening in the UK, what you're seeing around the world. Um, it's great to see the parents pushing back here in, in the United States. Are you seeing positive signs? I know the, I think the Anglican church in, in the UK is Maribund, and I, I, hear, I see interviews, BBC interviews with fem, female bishops who are asked about the problem with Anglicans not having babies. And she says on television, well, that, that's fine. You find uh, more intelligent people don't have babies. It's like... Are you listening to what you're saying? So you're actually happy that you're going to die out? Uh, I, I think Africa, personally, there are some amazing things happening with the churches in Africa, some very brave bishops and church leaders. Uh, where, where are we going to find those who are prepared to promote truth and beauty, Calvin? That's a good question, because out here... In the Anglican Church in the United Kingdom, we're not seeing that. And you're right, we, we do have this, obviously, this movement of we've got female priests and bishops over here, which was the first mistake, you know, having the audacity to declare that our church can make a decision that the universal church has not made and decide that we'll go against thousands of years of doctrine and Christian teaching and just make a unilateral decision in order to seem progressive and liberal. That's what it was. Yeah. It was a silly decision that shouldn't have been made. But that was the first step. Now, if you consider that most people that believe in Christian teaching, Christian doctrine, will not believe in the ordination of women. Most traditionalists will not. Therefore, the progressives, the liberals, are the ones that do believe it. That is why the, the female bishops and the female priests tend to be more liberal in their theology. And that's why they're stepping away from traditionalist teaching. Uh, so the, as they climb the ladder, the church gets less and less Christian. And this is why probably the Church of England closed its doors to the faithful during the first lockdown, which I think was criminal. Yeah. Um, you know, we should never, ever turn the faithful away from God and God's house and access to the blessed uh, sacrament. All very, very wicked. But it all stems from this lack of faith in the faith. And what we have is a secularization. But you ask where we're going to find the people that are going to fight for truth and beauty. I don't know, because, it's again, it's this silent majority. It's the people who sit in the pews in church, the people in the congregations 
I honestly believe, anecdotally, from speaking to most, you know, most people I talk to, these are the normal folk with normal opinions, Christian values and British values and the things that we've been talking about. But it's the people in the hierarchy, the people that are preaching to them, that are the lefties and the liberals that don't understand them and can't connect with them. So we need almost a form of entryism. That's what they did. That's what the Marxist, social Marxists did. Yes. You know, that's why explain, teachers, explain that. Explain entryism. So our teachers, our academics, our civil service, our um, priests and bishops, all the people in respectable positions in hierarchical systems have been replaced almost by people that see the world through this liberal progressive lens of identity politics, identitarianism, critical race theory. They, they all fit together, but it's, it's, it's because they wanted to change the world in their, in their image. And so, to do that, they understood they needed to take over these institutions. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, you know, the ridiculousness of institutional racism. That's not a thing. But what we do have is institutional Marxism. And to fight back, we need to do the reverse. We need to get good, conservative, Christian people in these positions of authority uh, to make sure that we stick to our values and make, sure, and make sure we bring them back into the centerfold. If you want to understand what Calvin's talking about, it really is the long march through the institutions. It's Rudi Deutschke. It's Antonio Gramsci. If you want to really understand how it happened in America, please check out a book that changed my life. It's Andrew Breitbart's book, Righteous Indignation, especially chapter three that opened my eyes to how it happened and that I use that in my book, The War for America's Soul, Chapter 6, is the names, the places, the plans. So check out uh, Andrew Breitbart's Righteous Indignation in my latest book, The War for America's Soul. Okay, so uh, I, I'm going to just say, uh, Calvin, we've never met. I really hope we do get to meet. You are an inspiration, not only because you did the toughest job in the world, which is to teach kids, but you're a man of color, who's prepared to take the slings and arrows of not only speaking the truth, but speaking the truth as a public conservative uh, individual. So, uh, you know, I could have you on this show for hours. You you are what we need more of on both sides of uh, the Atlantic. And, of course, as a kid who grew up under Thatcher, I love seeing a a book on your shelf behind you with her face on the spine. I can see see it right there. So I'm going to ask you to, to, to just open up in the last few minutes we have talk to all of our millions of listeners and viewers across the country across the globe what made you do what you do because you could have stayed a, a school teacher just uh, kept your opinions to yourself with your friends what made you do what you do and what is your message to those who feel browbeaten and intimidated it's a very good question so i i feel like i am privileged i have a platform and it's my duty to use that platform to enable other people to earn the, the same privilege. So what I mean by that is that because I'm brown, I'm able to say things that white people aren't able to say anymore because we've shifted in the West so far to the left that even to mention uh, someone's skin color is perceived as racism these days. So white people are disregarded from the whole conversation. So every time I bring something up from my, from the right-wing perspective, from the Christian perspective, I'm giving someone else permission to do the same uh, because I can get away with it without people automatically assuming I'm racist. I had this over Brexit. This is when I first learned this because I'm able to talk about immigration. And when people look at me... You're allowed to, go, right? You're allowed because yeah, of your skin colour, which is, which is racist. Yeah, because they look at me, they say, oh, well, he's brown, so okay, we can hear his thoughts on this. Whereas if you were to stand up and the first word you said was immigration, they'd be like, oh, he's one of those racists. Right, as as an immigrant, as an immigrant, I'm not allowed to talk about immigration. 
But because right. I'm white. It doesn't matter. Your history doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. It's your right. skin color right. and a superficial nonsense that matters to them. So this is why I do it. This is why I, over Brexit, I talked so much about immigration. And this is why I talk so much about race, even though race bores me. I'm not interested in race. But I give other people permission to enter the conversation. And that's my privilege. So I'm, I'm using that. Was, as my was there a culminating moment? Was this a catalyst for you where you said, OK, damn it, I'm going to do it? Yeah, it was Brexit. It was because people in the staff room were talking about it and everyone was assuming that we'd all vote for Remain to remain as part of the European Union. I was like, well, no, because we're a sovereign nation and we shouldn't have our laws dictated from a foreign land. That's not, you know, we fought wars against that. You know, we we fought to stop Germany taking over Europe and now we've given it them through the back door politically rather than through the military and nobody seemed to see it. And the whole argument about immigration, you know, people are still crossing the channel. People are still every day in this country, people come over from France, which is a free country, a Western country. People come over and claim asylum. And I'm like, how is this allowed? How are we saying that people are leaving one safe nation to another and claiming that they're refugees? That surely is nonsense. But likewise, while we were part of the EU, anyone that lived in the EU had free entry into the UK. And for me, that's nonsense because I know that how hard it is to recruit teachers from Australia doctors from India, nurses from Canada. It's so difficult. And these are nations that we've had long histories with. You know, a lot of them are part of the Commonwealth that we we helped build. And that people can't come over here and work for us. The people with the skills and talents that we need can't come over here. But people from the European Union who have no skills and talents quite often are low-paid um, workers taking away jobs and driving down wages for British workers can. So that taught me that something in the balance was wrong and something needed to be addressed. And white people weren't able to have the conversation. So I entered the field to have it more. You know, people like Nigel Farage, fair play to him. He stood up and did it. But many people stuck their, kept their heads down. So that is, you said, what would I say to people, to the masses, the people that are listening? My advice would be stick your head above the parapet. You know, we call ourselves the small see conservative silent majority for a reason because we're often silent we let people we let the woke people get on with their nonsense we think it doesn't affect us but it does affect us it changes our society it changes the world around us we've got to stop letting them we've got to stand up and say no this country is a free country i don't have to wear a mask if i don't want to i don't have to get a vaccine if i don't want to you're sure, sure as hell not going to vaccinate my children you're not going to teach them that there are more than two genders you're not going to teach my kids that they're racist because they're white you're not going to teach my kids that they're held back or victimized or oppressed because they're black and these are the values that we believe in christian values western values are okay democracy the rule of law these are things to be celebrated the english language was promoted around the world on purpose all of these things are great things we need to stand up and say yes and claim them and not be afraid anymore and not let the left uh, the liberal left push us around and claim that they're more progressive than we are because it doesn't matter because we know where they're right we know they're wrong but they think we are evil and we know that not to be the truth so we need to spread truth and beauty around the world once again time for the silent majority to get noisy that's what it sounds like to me um let me ask you this as somebody who left the uk in 1993 wow it's been a while um is the bulldog spirit still there the guys you know the guys i was surrounded with the the ncos in the territorial army the salt of the earth when i was in college in the summers i was a a furniture mover i'd i'd ride with guys across the country in a big truck and move furniture around i loved it the greasy spoon cafes in the morning is that spirit still there or can it be revivified 
It is in a lot of places. The moment you leave the cities, you find it again. <clears throat> Excuse me, that, that British bulldog spirit, as you called it. Absolutely. The stiff upper lip, the get on with your business and stop letting people be, you know, the woke nonsense. People just shrug it off. But what, when you're in the cities, you realize that things have changed dramatically. And our political system is based in London, in, in Westminster, of course. And that's all they see around them. And they see, you know, the rainbow flag everywhere. They see all of this, you know, all these people dyeing their hair blue and saying that they've, they've got a a different gender to to their cat and dog or I, I don't even know what what it is they claim but, but they see that as the norm and what we need to do is get our politicians back out of that bubble back into the real world i've just spent a month up in the northeast which is really really hardcore english just normal folk with normal british opinions and they these are the everyday normal folk that we need our politicians to see more of and for that to happen again they need to speak up and not let it. Let, it's so easy to just let people get on with, with rubbish and say it doesn't affect me. But it does. We've got to realize that it does. All right. Watch this guy, GB News. Listen to him on uh, talk radio out of the UK. Follow him at Calvin Robinson on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to exploit the situation, your, your past history uh, as a teacher. The fact that I think he's sitting in front of the uh, outside of my wife's library. I think that's the tidiest bookshelf I've ever seen. I think it's <laughs> it's it's not just size oriented. It's color coded as well. So uh, give, give our, our listeners and viewers what should they be doing? I always tell people of any age i don't care what you want to be switch the bloody phone off for at least an hour every day and read a book and preferably a book that's more than a hundred years old preferably a book that's a thousand or two thousand years old what what is your praxis what is your practical advice to those listening who are interested in oh i don't know truth and beauty calvin I love that. That's a great suggestion because we just had a court case in the UK recently where we found a, there was a white supremacist who was looking at um, Nazi uh, things online and, and looking at how to create bombs and stuff online. And the judge said to him, you need to read. And he gave him a canon of books, like good, proper English literature that said you need to read some books and it will broaden your horizon. So I like your recommendation. And I will say, read something, uh, you know, if you want something modern, um, Douglas Murray, The Madness of Crowds. Yes. Or any, anything about Thatcher's. Um, methodology or life in politics. Um, so, so many. I can't. Roger Scruton. Read any Roger Scruton. Scruton. And then you will yes. On beauty, part. especially. Yes. Oh yes. But you know, the, the man could write about anything. But th that will give you a core essence of what the Englishman is really and truly like at his core, away from all of the fluff that surrounds us. Fabulous. I think we're having Douglas Murray on next week uh, because he's here in the U.S. But Roger Scruton and anything uh, with regards to one of the greatest statesmen or statesperson of the no, world. No, don't change, don't change your language, Sebastian. Don't say statesperson. I know, I know, I know. She's a statesman. Don't play that she's, game. No, you're absolutely right. Stop it, Gorka. Behave. <laughs> Behave. Uh, greatest leader. I mean, just truly a woman who had larger... <clears throat> spherical objects than uh, most biological males do in politics today. That's how I'll end it. In the meantime, God bless you, Calvin. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First One on One. Keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.